Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Prudencia's poem, Psychomachia, or the Battle for the Soul, begins indeed with a set of combats. The first three are definitely single combats. The fourth, the one that involves pride and humility, you could look at it as a single combat, although there's assistance and tripping up that goes on from some helpers, you could say. And as we go on, these combats get a little bit more and more complex. They begin with a very straightforward one, faith versus worship of the old gods. And, you know, faith very quickly takes care of that. Then we have chastity versus lust. Then we're seeing more elements coming in with speeches getting made. We have a very interesting one of patience versus wrath, or you could say wrath against wrath as well. And then we have pride coming on the scene, giving a big bombastic speech and not getting hoist by its own petard, but rather the biblical metaphor of falling into a pit intended for one's enemies. Each of these is representing a battle, a machia within the soul of the person. And so each of these virtues is fighting against a vice, a good disposition, a good motivation and set of actions is fighting against a bad one. And so we lead off, like I said, with faith, fides. He tells us faith is the first to appear on the field to face the uncertainty of this conflict. So at the beginning of the poem, we don't know how this is going to turn out within the human soul. And faith is fighting against the first adversary, worship of the old gods. And worship of the old gods is vetra cultura deorum. So what we have here is... Christianity and what's best in pagan antiquity that's been absorbed into Christianity, fighting against the rest of pagan antiquity's religious beliefs. And this combat is over very quickly. Faith strikes the enemy's head. It tumbles into the dirt where it lies. And then faith tramples ahead, takes particular pains to squeeze the dead gray eyes out of the bloody skull. The monster's throat is dosed. Its breath is throttled in its passages. The spectators become brave enough to, to face the foe and faith crowns her followers with blossoms and gives them robes of flaming purple. So there's a lot going on here already in this combat. Is this like just within the soul of a person? Well, it, it's supposed to be there, but it's also, you know, there's all these spectators as well. So then we get the next one and this is a bit more complicated. Chastity, Pudikitia, is going to face off against lust. So we have chastity, the virgin shining in armor, lust come from Sodom armed with torches. And this time it's the vice that attacks first. The vice thrusts a burning pine knot dipped in sulfur and tar into the maiden's eyes. So what we've got here is chemical warfare of a sort, right? And chastity strikes the hand with a stone and the torch is knocked away. And then after that, she has a sword. And with the sword, she stabs lust, libido, 
right? She pierces the throat of the whore and stinking fumes with clots of blood are spat forth. The foul breath poisons the nearby air. Then we get the first of the speeches. The victorious queen, chastity, cries out, this will be your end. You will always lie prostrate. Never again will you dare to split your flames against the men and women who are gods. And so what's being promised here is with Christianity and in particularly with a certain kind of agency that comes from key figures in the Christian framework, lust, which was previously reigning supreme, can no longer affect these Christians. And first she talks about the head of Holofernes, right? So this is actually going back to the Jewish scriptures. Uh, Holofernes is killed by Judith. Weak though, woman though she was, her hand never trembled as she fought for my cause, the cause of chastity, with heavenly boldness. Then she goes on and she says, because a woman acted under the old law, physical law, maybe you thought she and others like her would be powerless now that the battle's been moved to spiritual realms. And she says, well, guess again, a virgin bore a child. So who is she talking about? She's talking about Mary, a bride who never a wife conceived the Christ who is both man because of his mother and God because he was conceived by the spirit of God. Ever since that day... All flesh is godlike since it conceives the Son of God and assumes his nature by a compact of partnership. So this means that lust can be disabled if human beings choose to embrace chastity. After that, we have a, a third combat. This is between longanimity or patience, patientia in the Latin. And who is fighting against patientia? Ira, wrath, anger. Wrath spies the easy-tempered virtue and all at once becomes enraged. So wrath gets angry. Wrath is the personification of anger. And as we're going to see, this is going to have some very interesting consequences. So first, wrath throws a spear at patience and then throws some language saying, this is for fools like you who stand aside and watch the combat without expressing favor. Take this wound in your gentle breast without crying. You would be dishonored to bear any pain. A kind of nonsensical speech, actually, but typical of, of an angry person. Throws the shaft of pine through the air. The shaft strikes against the belly of patience, but falls into the dust. Why? Because the virtue has wrapped her body in a jacket of steel links, three layers in thickness stitched together with leather. And wrath keeps throwing more and more darts and javelins and spears until wrath is more or less exhausted. Then she comes to close combat and attacks as well. The ground is littered with weapons. She reaches for a sword, raising the steel blade high over her head. She brings it down on the head of patience, but a helmet of forged bronze only rings under the great blow. The sword, its edge blunted, rebounds. The unbending helmet shatters it, and patience still stands there unmoved as she was before. This even greater angers, this personification of anger or wrath. And what do we find happening? Wrath, the fury is multiplied. She throws the sword aside, finds herself without weapons. One thing remains. Her unreasoning anger turns on herself and she prepares for suicide. She picks up one of her useless weapons. She puts the shaft in the dirt and falls on the upturned point. Patience then gives a little speech and says, we have conquered. 
with no danger to life. Our accustomed virtue has won the day again. This is the way we live, wiping out the devils of passion and all their attendant evils by standing as they attack. Wrath is its own enemy. Fury kills itself. So the way to fight against wrath is not to fight against wrath. You let the wrath exhaust itself against patience. Then we get to the most complex of the early combats. We got pride. Now pride, interestingly enough, is viewed by many early Christian authors as the the most problematic of the sins or vices because it can take anything else and turn it into something bad. Pride is riding around on a high-spirited horse, all inflated by her own great importance. You notice that pride is prideful about pride, and there's some great imagery here. She laid a lion's pelt across the horse's strong shoulders so she can look more important. She's braided her hair high on her head so there could be a lofty and more imposing peak. And it goes on and on and on. A horse, the charger who could not stand still, right? And so what does she do? She she goes back and forth, and then she, you know, is looking, she's eyeballing lowliness or humility, humilitas, right? So pride is superbia, this worst of sins. And then she gives a speech. What kind of nonsense is this? Surely you must be ashamed to challenge so famous, somebody so famous as me with troops so tattered. How can you raise your swords against a tribe of such distinction whose skill at fighting is one at wealth and give it power to rule the richest lands? You know, I, I'm pride. Who are, who are you? You're nothing, right? What army is this that has come from God? You lack spirit, luck, elegance, and good sense. The rights you claim have been assigned to those who claim them first. She goes on and says, must we enter combat with a chorus of girls with whom are the beggars, justice and honesty, parched sobriety, fasting with her pasty white face, purity in her bloodless cheeks, simplicity exposed to every injury and lowliness always bent double to the ground without freedom and so distressed one must see her cheap spirit. She's basically saying, I am the warrior, you are crap. I'm going to pound you into submission. And what does she do? She charges with her war horse and then something happens. <laughs> and this, I mean, it's really quite funny the way that it's it's brought in here. And there's a lot of different things going on. There is a biblical motif that comes from the Psalms in particular, where the psalmist is praying that those who are digging a pit for the psalmist, the just person, will fall in the pit themselves. Something like that happens, except in this case, it's a helper who's not helpful, but actually harmful. Deceit, dolus, has dug a pit for patience, thinking that patience is going to attack. Deceit saw the war about to break out, touched the earth so the enemy would be caught in the rush of their attack against the lines of the vices. She camouflaged the pit with branches overlaid with sod. Lowliness had not yet ordered her troops to advance and engage their foe. Instead, it's impetuous pride who gallops into the trap made for lowliness. The horse and pride fall into the pit. She clings to his mane and is thrown among his thrashing legs. The self-contained virtue, lowliness or humility, finding her opponent crushed, walks calmly to her side, raises her face a bit, combines a look of kindliness with her joy. She refuses to do anything more. So it's interesting here, lowliness by itself won't actually do in pride, but it will at least hold it back. It's hope. 
space who hands lowliness or humility a sword and says, take care of this, take care of this job. And so lowliness then grasps the bloody flow by the hair, drags her out, turns her the face towards her own. Pride asks for mercy, but lowliness bends the head back, cuts it from the body and raises the gray face for everyone to see. And then hope, not lowliness, speaks to those around. This is the end. This is what your grand words produce. God shatters arrogance. Even the great must fall. Inflated pride must be flatten. And again, there's biblical imagery and personages brought in here. How well we know the word of Christ that the lowly will rise to high places is from the gospel, right? And then there's a reference to the mighty Goliath being felled by an infant's hand. A little stone from a sling struck a hole deep in the forehead of the giant. At his pride, so Goliath is a stand-in for pride, as at his prides, raging and preening himself, threatening the sky with his shield one instant taught him what a child's toy might do. I hope led that boy into battle from that day. His courage ripened in my service. His mature spirit was part of me. So it's pride being brought down in part by another vice, deceit, but also by hope and humility working together. And these are the first four combats Things are looking pretty good by this point in the Psychomachia. Virtues four, vices zero, and we'll have to see what happens next. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.